sometimes we can get so busy doing God's work or in our own life that we lose perspective of where things are, things we know very well. And one of the things that was just been brought back to my attention over this last week is we're, this is an obvious thing, we're in a spiritual battle. Let's see, you know that and you know that. If you don't know it, you're really in it. There's a spiritual warfare going on to stop the work of God and the will of God and the Word of God. And, and where, we are, where we are now in, in, in the church, not just Faith Christian Center, and in our land and at what's at stake is a very critical moment. I believe that we've, as we talked, people talked on many sides through this last election of how critical this is. For the church, spiritually, this is extremely critical. There, I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. That's why we've done a series, and we'll pick up with this after these, this little parenthesis we're in right now. And, and the enemy knows that, and he's desperate. But when he gets desperate, he doesn't just back down and fold his arms and sit there and pout. He gets angry, and he asserts himself. But he asserts himself where there's weakness, so he tries to divide tries to divide in marriages. He tries to divide in families. He tries to divide in the church. He tries to bring strife in. And wherever there's a weakness in our flesh, wherever there's a weakness in our life, that's the avenue through. Because he's a coward. He knows that, that, the, that the one that lives in us has already defeated him. And so he can't come at us head on because he knows he'll lose if he comes at us head on. So he's got to come in through other avenues, and those avenues are generally our flesh through strife, through envy, through whatever it is. Any kind of weakness in our flesh is where it'll come. And what we do is we react in that flesh if we don't realize what's going on. Instead of responding according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we just react in that flesh. And when we do, we open the door even more to Him and give Him more of a leeway to come into our lives and just tear things up. But what He's ultimately after isn't you or me. He's after the Word of God, the presence of God, and the Word of God in this place. And so I'm saying that because what I've gotten alerted to again this week is that we are in a spiritual war right now. And there's just an all-out assault and attack on people's lives. And so we need to bear in on prayer. We need, we're going to talk about that uh, next week. We're going to change how we do prayer here so that we can engage more people and involve more people. And you know, I'll explain that a little more next week so that we can all be learn how to pray, learn how to pray together, because this is critical for where we are, not just as a church, but where you are in your family, where you are in your personal life. Maybe it's your health, and it is an attack. And we, you don't respond, you don't fight back in the flesh, you fight in the spirit. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians 6, it tells us how to fight the spiritual battle, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So your, your, your father, your mother, your mother-in-law, your spouse, your boss, they're not your enemy. Whoever's bothering you the most is not your enemy. It's the devil using them to get at you. So he wants you to fight it back against flesh, and we need to learn to fight where we can win, which is in the Spirit. And so we're going to begin to address some of that because it's important that we learn who our enemy is and how to fight them, fight him. So, but I'm saying that because before we pray now, I want you to understand that this is not just a routine prayer we're praying. 
because the Word of God is critical. Last week and this week, and I believe we'll get done this week, if I ever get into it, <laughs> is, is because this is a critical Word from God. What we're dealing with, and with strife, what we're dealing with in this church, and not just this church, it's all churches, what we're dealing with in this nation is Satan trying to destroy by division. And the answer is not to fight back. The answer is to find out what the Word of God says and what, how, what the Word of God says to the church. And I don't we may get into it, but his, Tim, Paul writes to Timothy about this in 2 Timothy, and his answer is to preach the Word. That went over big. His answer is to preach the Word. <laughs> his answer is to preach the Word. And as I shared with you last week, when you're dealing with these kinds of things, my opinion, your opinion, what brother so-and-so says on TBN or Daystar or whatever you happen to have or listen to, that's wonderful, but if it's not based on this, it doesn't work. This is the only thing God backs. This is God's wisdom. This is God's power. This is God's discernment. And we are dealing with situations that you and I, with our natural mind, our natural understanding, have no clue, and that's what the devil works in. But God knows, and God has prepared for His church exactly what we need, and it's this Word. So what we're looking at, this issue of divisive matters, we're looking at it solely from the perspective of what does God's Word say? Because what I think doesn't matter. What you think doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't count. And your opinion doesn't count. But God's Word is what counts. And God, God doesn't have opinions. God doesn't have opinions. John 17, 17, Thy Word is truth. But we often have the view that, well, there's, there's, the, there's the world's view of things and there's God's view of things. No, there's truth and there's error. <laughs> God's Word is truth, and truth is God's Word. And I'm going back over that because that's the foundation for what we're looking at. And now with that off my chest <laughs> and out of my spirit, now let's pray. Father, I believe with all my heart that we are living in a very critical time for this church, for your church in general, and for our own individual lives. There are marriages that are being torn up. There are families that are being divided. There, there, there are children being lost. There are terrible destruction being wrought because we're trying to respond in our flesh. And Father, your word says that our flesh is weak, but you've given us the weapons that we need to overcome the enemy whom you've already defeated through the cross. And so we come right now in the spirit of truth, we come right now on the authority of the name of Jesus and we come against every spirit in this room right now that would try to distract, that would try to destroy, that would try to interfere with the Word of God going forth and into people's hearts. And Father, we need ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to grasp and understand and receive what Your Spirit is saying to us. And so, Father, we speak words of life today. May your spirit of the living God resonate in our hearts. And I surrender to you as I did earlier this morning. 
my tongue, my heart, my body, all of me, that it may be used only for your purposes and only for your word. For, Lord, my views matter nothing. It's your word spoken by the unction of your spirit that changes our lives. And we desperately need that this morning. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Well, last week we took a little diversion from, from the series we've been in, which is Are You Ready? And it really does fit in, but it kind of jumps ahead. We began to talk about things that are going on in the world today and how they've gotten into the church. Divisive things. And the title of this message last week and this week is How to Handle Divisive Matters. Divisive means that are intended to divide and to separate. And this is triggered because there are issues in this church today. There are issues in some families today that are dividing families and churches. Some of them are political issues. Some of them are racial issues. Some of them are ethnic issues. Some of them are even age-related issues. Because we can have that kind of division. We can have old people, excuse me, more mature people... That's a good example because your perspective on what's old changes as you get older. <laughs> I used to think people in their 70s were old until I hit 70. <laughs> and then you can have, so uh, the more mature ones, and that's not necessarily true, the older ones, looking down at the younger ones and say, well, why do we need to listen to them? Who are they? And then on the other side, you can have the young ones looking at the old ones and say, they're all fogies, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't have the perspective that we have. No, but they got the experience you don't have. And so that division, and my concern is we have churches today, some of the fastest growing churches are based on these divisions. So you've got, and for years we've had black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches, and I understand people when to congregate around people, things that they have in common, but the problem with that is if all I ever do is hang out with people that are like me, I'm gonna, we're going to agree on everything. So I'm not going to grow. And if that's my attitude, I'm saying basically I've already arrived. I know everything I'm ever going to need to know or ever want to know, and there's a word in the Bible for that called pride. I'm revved up this morning. Pride goes before a fall. So Satan wants to, he doesn't care what the issue is. He's not interested in the truth. He just wants to divide so he can conquer. And so what really triggered this was some things that Lafayette shared. Because one of the issues that's circulating out in the world today, and it's in the church, it's in the school, is is this issue of Black Lives Matter. And we used an example, and that's just one example. There are others. There are, there are uh, age issues. There are immigration issues. There are all kinds of issues. But probably the most charged one is racial issues. And, and as I prayed about it, as he shared some things, Lord, what is your wisdom? I'm the one who's got to stand up. I could ignore it, but I can't. We need to address these things. And I've received some wonderful feedback from people. And what blessed me the most is most of the feedback I've gotten is from young people. Because the gospel is relevant to today. It's relevant to your life. And if all we do is preach biblical principles that we can't take home and apply in our life to the issues of life, then we might as well stay home and go do something else. 
Because the gospel, and this I hope young people hear this, the gospel will solve every issue in your life. It will give you direction to every issue in your life. And so we can't be afraid of talking about these issues, but we can't debate these issues the way the world does. We've got to take what God says and apply what God says to these issues and really put on like glasses that allow us to see things through God's perspective. One of the things that was on my heart about this is just, I'm going to get back into it a little bit, is, is we don't, we've, and this goes back to my training. This, maybe this is part of God's preparation for me at this time in this job is I, I was trained, for those of you that know, I was trained as a lawyer. I practiced law for 24 years. But even before that, my mind worked in a very strange way. My wife will tell you that. I have a very analytical mind, and one of my first questions when somebody tells me something is, how do you know that? How do you know that? And then my legal training was to question, not authority, but what, what's, you, you, they say, who's they? Because unless you learn to listen carefully, think critically. That doesn't mean criticizing, that means think and analyze what you've heard. And is that truth or is that not truth? And with all the social media and the avenues that news has at us, 24 hours a day if we'll allow it, sometimes we're bombarded with things so fast we don't have a chance to think. But more concerning to me is we've got a generation, and it's not just this young generation, it's the, the, the middle generation and even my generation, they've not been taught how to think. So whatever we hear is truth. We don't question who said that, what's their motive. Have I heard it accurately? You know the old game. I could take one of the full rows over here, I could take that row that, that Tony and Monique are in, and I could start with Tony, and I could whisper something in his ear. He could m- whisper it to, sure, to, to um, wouldn't skip Monique, to Monique, Monique Shirley, and right on down the line, and by the time I got to Tom, I'd hear something different. You know that. That's an old child's game. And so, by the time it's gotten to you or me, through Facebook, which probably has gone through three different levels of people, we just accept it as truth. And it may not even be literally what the first person said. And here's why I'm saying that. Because last week, in order to dramatize some of this, I did a physical example. We're not going to do it again. But I had Patricia stand over here, and then I had Richard stand over here. And I took it to completely out of all these issues, and I put it down to an issue we could all relate to. Football. Well, most of us. And I had Patricia as the Patriots fan, and I had Richard, I had him as a Jets fan, but I was told later it would have better have him as a Giants fan. And then, because they, they represent two different groups of football fans that are passionate. Now the rest of you don't watch football, just kind of play along with me, but are passionate for their teams. And then I mentioned the term Deflategate. Ooh, it still res- resonates with some of you. And the Flategate, of course, goes back to something that happened three or four years ago when the Patriots were accused of cheating, especially Tom Brady, by wanting to have the football have some air taken out of it so it would be easier to grip. The true facts may never have come out, but everybody has a, as a football fan has an adamant point of view on it. 
So we got into that debate, and Patricia, of course, we had a group in the middle. We had several couples in the middle, because they were debating this to these couples. So Patricia was arguing, was claiming the patriots are always considered cheaters, that because the league is jealous of them, everybody else is jealous of them. That's why they, no, no pun intended, blown this up out of proportion. <laughs> And then we had Richard over here who was, as a good sport, was pretending to be not a Patriots fan because we all know he is. And he was arguing back, no, you're a bunch of cheaters. Everybody knows you're a bunch of cheaters. Back and forth, back and forth with passion that most of us can relate to whether you're a Giants, Jets fan, or you're a Patriots fan, or whoever you're a fan for. But we saw the group in the middle being moved back and forth based on who they listened to. And what we pull out of that is in all these issues... And it's not just race. Whether it's immigration, all these issues are in many cases more complicated than they appear when they just make statements. And here's why. This is where we don't think critically. Because what's happening, who's, who's, who's speaking that? Well, in many cases, not in every case, there are some voices out there, not all voices, that are not concerned with the truth on both sides. What they want is division. What they're trying to do is undermine, and the devil is the one that ultimately wants to undermine, and he's using them. But if we're not discerning, where's that coming from? Now, in the course, well-intentioned people get caught up in that and have a valid concern for that issue. See, if there weren't some truth in it, people wouldn't buy into it. So there has to be some truth. But here's where we oversimplify it. We generalize. We say all. All on any side. All black lives matter. And I'm not saying they don't. And all white lives matter. And we get into this issue. Well, they're saying this and they're saying this. And yet if you begin to talk to individual experiences, let me put it this way. one of our sons had a friend who was not of the Caucasian race. Well, he was Puerto Rican. I'll tell you what he was. And he made some comment when he was young about that, about Puerto Ricans. And I said, well, 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 wait a minute. Michael, your best friend, he's a Puerto Rican. Oh, no, he's not. I said, yes, he is. The reason he's not a Puerto Rican to you is he's Michael. And you know Michael. Now there's some situations, and this is what I want to get into today, is there's an old thing, you're not in a position to judge someone unless you've walked in their shoes for a little while. I think that's an old adage, maybe a Native American adage. But I want to get into the scriptures of this. But before we did that, we talked about that. How do we look at all these issues? And we went and looked back in, in, in 1 Corinthians where Paul had to deal with issues of division in that church and in some other churches. Why? Because Satan no, there's no new trick that he has to him. He wants to bring division. And the issue is not so much what do I believe about that issue or what do you believe about this issue. How as a church are we to respond? How as the body of Christ are we to respond? And we saw last week the way Paul addressed those issues because the divisions in his church, in the church at Corinth, was basically around who they followed. 
Well, I'm a follower of Paul. No, I'm a follower of Apollos. Well, all Christians' lives matter. And they were arguing over these things. And Paul says, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Has Christ been divided? Did I die for you? Did Apollos die for you? Did those people who are espousing all of these points of view, did they die for you? No. Christ died for you black, white, pink, green, turquoise. He died for you. He's the one we belong to. And that's what Paul was calling people back to. The way Paul always addressed correction in the church, and I quoted a verse referred earlier, Paul told Timothy to, to preach the word, and then he goes on to explain why. He said, because the word of God is profitable to rebuke. We don't get much of that in church anymore. To correct. We get the encouragement, the loving, but we need correction sometimes. Sometimes I need the slack jerked out of me. And so do you. We all do. And so Paul called the church back to reminding them who they were. They are the, we are the body of Christ. And I'm not going to do it today, but I had you stand up and turn around to get to see what I see every Sunday. This amazing blending together of different colors, different nationalities, different ages. The Spirit of God has done here what the government cannot do and many churches have failed to do. And then we looked in Ephesians where he said, therefore, preserve the unity that you have. Why? Because it's under attack. It's under attack. I want to begin today by looking in 1 Corinthians 11. We ended by looking in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul said that, that um, we are no longer, since we regard Christ no longer according to the flesh, we're, not, we're to regard one another within the church no longer according to the flesh. In other words, we don't esteem or evaluate or identify one another according to the outward man, what we look on the outside. Then how do we? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So that's how we're to identify one another. We're to identify one another regardless of what we look like on the outside. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, if indeed you are. And I understand in families you get squabbles, but you don't kick them out of the family because of that. We work them out. Now let's see what happens if we don't do this, because there's consequences to this. In the same letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, about this division, he, he talked to them about how they celebrated the Lord's table together. And I really believe that it's so appropriate that today we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together because this table is all about celebrating our unity, what we have in common. It is the communion table. And the word communion literally means 
union with. And when they talk about fellowship in the, Old, in the New Testament, when it talks about this, the word is koinonia, which means what we share together. What we share together isn't our outward appearance, it isn't our ethnic background, it isn't our age. What we share together is we have the same Lord, we have the same Spirit living in us, and we saw in Ephesians there's only one Lord, there's only one Spirit, there's only one God, there's only one body. But here's the same church that was fighting over things, and we're not going to have the time to go back and look at all of this, but what we're going to see is we're going to look, start in verse 17. For, though, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. And that's what we're going to do today. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partake of the altars? Well, let's, let's, let's drop down to um, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let each one seek his own, but not, let no one seek his own, but each one seek the other's well-being. Verse 25. Eat whatever's sold in the marketplace, asking no question for your conscience sake. Wait a minute, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in 10. That's why. Forgive me. 1 Corinthians 11, 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for worse. Talking about coming together to share the Lord's table. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you. So divisions and factions are different. That those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come in together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. What was going on here, and we'll get into it when you read down, is they would come together to church to share the Lord's table together, but what they would do is they divide up by the, what they had in common with each other. And I don't know whether it was, whether maybe they're dividing up where Paul's people sat over here and Apollos' people sat over there. But whatever it is, they gathered together with the people that were like each other, and they shared, they shared their, their, what they called their meal together. Not all together with their own group, with their own people. You following so far? And they didn't care what happened. So you had this group over here, because they had lots of food. This group over here didn't have enough to share with each other, so some were going hungry. That group back there were getting drunk. We won't get into who they were. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. In other words, they don't care about each other. Not that you should be drunk in church, but they don't care about each other. They don't care what's happening to each other. What, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Verse 22, or do you despise the church of God? Wow. And shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And this is what he's going to talk For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yes, amen. Praise God. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Why? Because it was sloppy? Because he spilled the grape juice? Because he was too casual with how he ate it? I don't think he's talking here about properly holding the bread when you eat it. I don't think he's even talking about recognizing exactly what this is. What he's talking about, look at he says, not discerning the Lord's body. And I don't think he means so much here the piece of bread as he does this body. Because what was the issue? This bo- wasn't that the piece of bread was wrong. It wasn't that the piece of bread was divided. The issue was the body of Christ in the church at Corinth was divided. It was split up because they didn't recognize who they were together. They didn't recognize that this was the Lord's body. And so Paul's saying... When we don't recognize that together we are the Lord's body, we are offending Him. We are disrespecting Him. After all, He's the head of this body. See, we think envy and strife and all Well, it's just human. It may be, but we're not just human. If you're just human, you need to get saved. That becomes an excuse for our flesh. I love Pastor John. Okay, all right, okay. It's the word truth anyway, whether we love it or not. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Aren't you glad God gives us that opportunity? What a privilege. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, look at this. See, there's consequences to division. Because division opens the door for Satan. In a church, in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in your health. Look at this. You don't hear this preached very often. For this reason, why? Because that church did not rightly recognize each other as the body of Christ, His body. Many are weak and sick among you, and many, not a few, many sleep. That means died. That's serious stuff, my brother and sister. Because we do not rightly discern each other that we are His body. Many are weak. Many are sick. And many die. This is the Word of God. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. All right. 
Now, what are we to do? So the foundation of this, I talked to you last week. I said there's two phases to what I believe God wants me to talk to you about. The first phase is to deal with the division, to recognize who we are as the body of Christ. But now, assuming we've done that, assuming we recognize and applaud and worship, we are one body, what does that mean now? Does that mean we just close our eyes and close our ears to these issues out there? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean we hide out in church and we bless each other and we prophesy to one another, we hear good messages, but we leave our Christianity in here and go back out into the world. No, we're here to take the gospel into the world so that God can bring His grace and love into the divisions in other people's family, in other people's homes, in other people's lives, that He can bring this healing and division. I read scriptures to you last week about how God brought the two and brought them together as one. All right. So now what we're going to look at is, all right, we're one. Amen? Okay, that's good. Now what are we to do? Ephesians chapter 3. You knew somewhere I'd go there. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll start in verse, um, I'm going to pick up in verse 15. He said, verse 14 says, I bow my knees before the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. And this is his prayer for the church at Ephesus. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. So whatever he's about to ask God to do for us, he's got to start out by asking God to have the Holy Spirit strengthen us with his ability. So this is not going to be an easy thing to do. This is not something we can do when we can just suck it up. This is not something we can do because we just decide, you know what, we're going to do this. This is going to be so hard to do. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. So it's because you can read through this and say, well, that's, yeah, I understand that. But but this is so radical, we need the Spirit of God to strengthen us to do this. Verse 17, what? So that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Well, Jesus lives in me. We sing songs about that. Jesus lives in me. Jesus lives in me. The question is, how much of Jesus is coming out of you? We sing about the presence of the Lord here, but how much of the presence of the Lord is coming out of here? Because you see, Jesus can't be contained. He didn't sit in a temple reading his Torah and praying to his Father all day long. He took the gospel out to where people were. Jesus in us, with free reign, you can't sit still. So the question is, if he's in me, how come he's not coming out of me? Well, we'll see why. Verse 17, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that's part of the problem, may be able to comprehend, understand, grasp with all the saints What is the width, the length, the depth, and the height? And to know, that word know means by experience, the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. 
Stop there a second. So Paul's prayer was that the church at Ephesus, which had, would be strengthened by the Spirit of God in them so that Christ could live His life in them and through them. That being rooted and grounded in His love for them, they could come to know, together with all the saints, the limitless boundarylessness of His love. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the, bound, the, the boundaries of His love. The width, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know by experience the reality of His love, of Christ's love. Not my love, Christ's love. Okay. So, let's go. So our calling as a church and believers, Lafayette talked about this. He said God has shown him that there's treasures out there. And they're hidden treasures. So they're not, most of them aren't standing on a street corner with a sign saying, I'm a treasure, come collect me. We have to go after them. We have to go looking for them. And here's the issue. We will only look where we're comfortable going. And I'm not even talking about physically. I'm talking about how willing we are to reach out to people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, maybe don't even believe like us. A book I read a number of years ago is a wonderful story about a, a, a rally in, in, in Atlanta. This was a long time ago. And it was, it was a gay rights rally. And on one side of this rally was a whole bunch of Christian churches with posters and signs <clears throat> and yelling and screaming. On the other side was just a handful of people from a church going around just talking to them just listening instead of yelling and screaming listening and identifying with where they are and then there was an openness to share the love of Christ and what Christ did two dramatically different approaches one saved some souls the other just created a distance I'm not talking about what's right or wrong I'm talking about what our job is, <clears throat> is to go and reach the lost and mine out the treasures. <clears throat> so let's look at Jesus teaching this example. Luke chapter 10. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right, good. Just checking on you. I'm doing all right too. I don't like the beginning of this one, but we've got to read it. Behold a certain lawyer. <clears throat> Notice it doesn't say all lawyers. <clears throat> this is one particular lawyer, so we know who we're talking about. Stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? He went back to the Word. What's the Word say? What's your reading of it? So he answered, I'm sure very proudly, and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And <clears throat> Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Now notice this. Do this, and you will live. It's not the fact that you, we talked about that on Wednesday night. It's not about the fact that you know it. Do it, and you will live. But look at the next verse. But wanting to justify himself. Now that's a very powerful statement. We need to take that apart because it looks with our attitudes, and this is where we begin to get off track. 
wanting to judge Jesus, he's just told Jesus what is required. I mean, it can't get any simpler than that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And they're connected. It's that simple. All the law we've seen before is reduced to those simple things. But wanting to justify himself. Because Jesus has just said to him, you're right, you've answered rightly, but if you want to live, you've got to go do this. Now, if he were going to rush out and do it, he wouldn't need to justify himself, would he? <clears throat> so we only try to justify ourselves when we're coming up with a reason why I'm not doing what it says to do. I'll say that over here. Justifying myself, I'll put it on me, is when I know what to do, but I don't want to do it. So I'll come up with some justification of why it doesn't apply to me. In other words, a boundary. I'm not responsible for them. I didn't do that. It's not my burden. I didn't cause this. It's interesting because I heard years ago um, Ed Cole, who had a wonderful men's ministry, he's gone home to be with the Lord a number of years ago, and actually Lafayette Scales came out of that ministry in many ways. He was a spiritual son to, 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 uh, to, Laf to, to Ed Cole, as well as A.R. Bernard and some others. And, and Edward Cole talked about spiritual maturity, levels of spiritual maturity. And one of the highest levels of spiritual maturity he talked about, you see, because what, what we tend to do is take the things that have happened to me. We think it's big. Somebody's done something to me. So Nick insults me, and I say, all right, I'll forgive Nick because I'm supposed to. And Nick will forgive me, and that's fine. But what, what you see some of the prophets of old, like Daniel and Isaiah, they took the sins of what the nation had done on themselves as if it were their sin, and they went to God for forgiveness of that sin, even though they hadn't committed it. They took the burden of what the nation had done and identified with it, and because the nation wasn't going to do this, to bring it to the Lord. They were interceding. Intercession is when you take someone else's issue on yourself, and then you go plead on their behalf to the Lord. It's not just, oh God, please save them. You take it on yourself, as if it were yours. And then you plead on their behalf to God. And we'll see in a minute, that's what Jesus did. So when he says he was trying to justify himself, what he's saying is, there's some bound, there's some limits of how far I've got to go to love my neighbor. Lord, show me where the boundaries are on how far I've got to go to love my neighbor. That's why he says, and who is my neighbor? So what's the limit of my responsibility to love my neighbor? So he's doing what a lawyer would do and what people do today. He's, 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 he's creating a boundary by redefining a term. So you've got to learn to think. He's, he's saying, okay, let's talk about who my neighbor is. Because I want to define my neighbor as the guy that lives here and here. Because he looks like me and he looks like me. So they're my neighbors. So I'll help take care of my neighbors. But there's someone across town that doesn't look like me, doesn't agree with me, so they can't be my neighbor. So who's really my neighbor? Well, he never should have asked Jesus that question if he didn't want an answer. So here's what, here's the, this is what you've got to understand. Here's the issue. He's asking, and he's not asking sincerely. He's asking to justify himself so that he can get Jesus to agree with his boundaries. 
Because boundaries mean I don't have to go beyond that. I have no obligation to go beyond this limitation. Whether it's political belief, whether it's racial, whether it's age, I don't have an obligation to go on beyond this because they're not my neighbor. My neighbors are these people within my fence, my boundary, my gated community. Ooh, 30, verse 30. There, there, are, there are gated communities out there that have no physical gates. There are gated communities out there because gates are in our mind and in our attitude and in our hearts. This applies to all ages, all races, all persuasions. Okay. Then Jesus answered, he's going to tell them a little story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest, a religious leader, a man who knows and worships God and represents God, came a Jew, came down the road. And we saw him, he passed by the other side. In other words, that's not my responsibility. This road is my boundary. Now, it wasn't the physical boundary. It's, I don't want to get involved. He's not my type of person. This isn't my job. My job is to preach the gospel. My job is to offer the sacrifices in the temple. So I have no obligation here. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, also charged with worshiping God, when he arrived at the same place, came and looked... So he saw it and passed by on the other side. Why? They're choosing to believe that man's not my neighbor. Because remember, the commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But if I can redefine neighbor so it doesn't include him, I have no obligation. So I don't have to love him because he's not my neighbor. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan... Now, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it fits in with what we're talking about. The Samaritans were, to the Jews' mind, half-breeds. Because when Israel was taken away into captivity, starting around 500 B.C., with an initial taking, they left, the Babylonians left a certain remnant in Jerusalem. And over the 70 years before Israel began to return those Jews that were left in, Israel, in Jerusalem began to intermarry with non-Jews. And so they began to have children that were half Jew and half not Jew. So to bring it down to, and I'm just using this as an example because it's the most common one. So it's as if you have one spouse that's black and one spouse that's white and they intermarry and have a child and that child is now a mixture of both. Does that bring it down to where we are today? Okay, because Samaritan doesn't mean much to us. And so the Jews who were very proud of their spiritual purity, which was a facade, looked down at Samaritans because they were racially different than they were. So Jesus is saying here, somebody that you, talking to a, the Jewish lawyer, a Samaritan, the kind of guy you'd look down at and say, they're scum of the earth, 
as he journeyed by, came where he was, and when he saw this man, look at those words, he had compassion. The Levite didn't have compassion. The, the, the priest didn't have compassion. And what's the second part of that commandment? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As I was reading over this on Friday and looking at some things, it struck me how many times Jesus was moved by what? Compassion. In Mark's account, when Jesus' leper come, falls down in front of him, who is unclean and says, if you, if you can do anything, please heal. You know, I know you can, but are you willing? It says Jesus was moved with compassion. He cried out over Jerusalem because he was moved with compassion. He prayed for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out because he was moved with compassion. He healed people because he was moved with compassion. He was touched by where they were. This Samaritan was touched by this man's condition because he didn't have a wall up saying, I don't go. See, because he could identify with that man. The priests and the Levites live within their enclosed community. They live within their religious world. They live within church. Said so everything's going well here. Verse 34. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which it had to have been his. And those were medicinal things in those days. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to a holiday inn and took care of him. So look what he does. He takes what he has to meet what he needs. He looks at what he has and says, this man needs some medical treatment. He needs some bacitracin, some bandages, and some, you know, hydrogen peroxide. I have those things here. So he puts them on bandages. He says, well, I can't leave him here. I got to get him somewhere he can rest. So, why, so he puts him on, in his own. Why does he conceive? Why did he pass the word become his flesh? New John one fourteen car with stuff oozing out. Even more so, verse eight. And being found in the appearance as a man, being found in the body of a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. This is what he's willing to pay, even death on a cross, crucifixion. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. God has exalted him because he was willing to come to where you and I were. Hebrews 4. Why did he do this? Verse 14. Seeing we have so great a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. That's a double negative, which means we do have a high priest who, listen to this, who can sympathize. The word sympathize means identify emotionally with. Remember the, the, the good Samaritan could identify with this man that was been mistreated because undoubtedly he'd been mistreated at some point. Jesus could, can sympathize with feel, not just have compassion on. The word sympathize means to feel along with you. It doesn't mean to feel pity on. It means to identify with what you feel because he's felt the same thing. Look at this. But was in always tempted as we are without sin. 
So Jesus took on flesh in part so that he could understand the struggles that you and I go through. So that he could be a faithful high priest, yet he didn't sin. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest, one representing us before the Father, who understands what our struggles are like because he was willing to cross the boundary of eternity, the boundary of flesh, and step in to human flesh with all of its weaknesses. God the Father and God the Son, before he was born in Mary's womb, or out of Mary's womb, didn't understand what weakness was. See, God the Father cannot understand what weakness is. He can't look at you and say, boy, I know how you feel tired, because I felt that God's never been tired. There's nothing hard for God. God cannot be tempted. So he couldn't identify with our temptations. But instead of looking down at us and saying, you bunch of schmucks, You need to get it together. He loved us so much. He, could, he was willing to send His Son to step across that enormous boundary of human flesh to take on flesh like you and me so that He could understand what we go through. Listen carefully. Not to leave us in that position, but to lead us out of it. But before you can lead somebody out of it, you've got to be able to identify with them in it or they won't listen to you. If you just preach at them, what would you do when you preached at? But it's the love of Christ that reaches people. Yes, the truth is the truth, but it's the truth in love that sets us free. It's not the truth alone. And people err on both sides of that. We certainly ought to be able to listen to people that we look at and say, I don't like them, they're just, they're just the opposite of what I was raised, but Christ in me wants to listen to them. Amen. And that's what we're called to do. There is so much at stake. We are the body of Christ. And if He's going to get done what He wants, needs to get done, in your life, in my life, and in this world, we have to do this together. Some of it may be uncomfortable, but I've learned some of the most uncomfortable things are the things that cause me to grow the most. Amen? Amen. Amen. Say this with me. I love love God. God. I love Jesus. I love love my neighbor. neighbor. Pastor John's my neighbor, so I must love Pastor John. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We're about to receive the Lord's table. Before we do that, I want to ask this question. Is there anyone here this morning you've never given...